Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 16. Pylon. The second half of the football was going very well indeed. The sun had set, replaced by school floodlights, and Patcham were winning 9-7. Number 8 had scored all of Rodine's goals, despite Jenny's newfound strength. But by the end of the game, the girls had figured each other out. It was a deadlock. Jenny could counter Number 8's attacks, and Number 8 was still fast enough to make it hard for the smaller girl to get her own way. With five minutes remaining, Jenny now had one thing in her mind, the Squiducken key. Laurie was right, it was on the Rodine player's boot, laced in. Jenny had seen it when skipping out of the way of yet another vicious slide tackle. If the game finished, and number eight still had the key, she would disappear and there would be no chance to get it back. There was no way that Jenny could get the key out during the match on her own. She looked around to see if Laurie was in place, and saw a bunch of the Green Hands gang shouting and cheering by the far corner post. They were ready, but was she? Wake up, Jen! her captain shouted. While Jenny had been musing on the Squiducken key, number eight had slipped away on a run towards Patcham's goal. Jenny cursed herself and sprinted to catch up, but not before the other player unleashed a lightning shot that almost tore a hole in the back of the net. Sorry, Jenny said. I just lost concentration. You can do it, Nancy assured her. There's two minutes left, and it's now 9-8 to us. All we have to do is keep the ball away from them, and we'll win. Patcham took their centre, and immediately number eight dived in with a hard tackle on Louisa to win the ball. Jenny was ready, and stole the ball from number eight's feet immediately afterwards. There was only about a minute left to play. This was her chance. Jenny passed to Charlotte and made her signature hard run toward the far corner post. Charlotte passed forward but overhit it. Jenny dodged two Rodine girls and stretched up high with her foot, just managing to keep the ball in play. Number eight was not far behind. She shouldered Jenny, trying to catch her off balance. Not this time, Jenny said. You're going to have to try harder than that. Three Patcham players were waiting in the box for a cross. Jenny dabbed the ball away from number eight, jumped the other girl's swinging foot, and made space to kick it. But she paused, waiting for another shoulder barge, and absorbed the contact and dribbled forward, taking number eight with her toward the goal. They were almost at the edge of the area, and number eight was fighting hard to get in front, while being effectively held off by the smaller girl. Without warning, Jenny span and went the other way, back to the corner, leaving number eight guarding empty space. Quit playing with her, Nancy shouted. The whistle's about to go. Cross it. But Jenny stood still, left foot on top of the ball, baiting number eight one last time. The referee had the whistle between her lips, ready to blow. This would be the last move of the game. Number eight didn't need any more encouragement. She put her head down and charged at Jenny like an angry bull. A bull with football boots and a nasty attitude. At the end of her charge, number eight leapt boots first into a dirty two-footed tackle. 
the kind designed to break ankles and get you sent off in any match around the world. But the look on her face told Jenny that she didn't care about any of that. With a calm, calculated coolness, Jenny stood up onto the ball with both feet. Number eight studs slammed hard into the ball, taking Jenny's legs from under her. Jenny allowed herself to collapse on top of the other girl, and they both ended up skidding right off the pitch, and right into the waiting huddle of the Green Hands gang. Some of the gang jumped out of the way in surprise, but Laurie, who was ready, and small and light, allowed the girls to knock him over, and he dragged two other children on top of him as he fell. It was a messy pile of players and supporters. Get off me! Number eight barked, pushing Jenny and the other children, while struggling to get out from underneath them. But Jenny pinned the angry player down, giving her friends just long enough to do their jobs. She could see Laurie and Frank's fingers working at the laces of the writhing girl's boot. By the time that everyone had picked themselves up, the referee had blown the final whistle. Number eight angrily shoved Jenny away and stomped back to the changing rooms. She slammed the door on her way through, and a cloud of black crows erupted into the night sky from the roof above and hightailed over the school building. She'll be even angrier when she noticed that this is gone, Laurie said, holding the key in his hand. By that time, the other Patchen players had run over, along with the rest of the away supporters, all cheering and shouting for their team. Jenny let herself be lifted up onto her team's shoulders and carried along as the team danced merrily down the sideline together. She saw James and the rest of the retrieval team quietly slip back into the floodlit area and join in with everyone else. With the exception of number eight, who had not come back out, the rest of the Rodine players lined up and shook hands with their opponents. Without exception, each of them heartily thanked Jenny for her good play. Wonderful game, the headmaster announced. And I believe that means, if I'm not mistaken, that Patcham are the awesome league champions, due to away goals scored. More importantly, I'd like to invite everyone into the sports hall for tea and cakes. The crowd cheered again, and everyone started making their way inside. Jenny broke away from her teammates and huddled up with the Green Hands gang. Laurie gave the key to James, who was holding out the feather and the symbol on the paper. Hugo copied the symbol onto his clipboard. Great work, gang, Jenny said. We got the key and the feather back. And we won the football, Frank said. And we're going to get cakes, Daniel said. What about those rat things, Joe asked. They were mercenaries working for number eight, James said. They won't risk being seen with all these people around. I think we're safe. There was no avoiding adults now, and so the Green Hands gang wandered back to whomever they were with. James fell in next to Jenny. I noticed something interesting, he said. If you get changed quick, I think we should check it out while we have the chance. Jenny was quite happy to skip the tea and cakes, and especially to avoid being carried on any more shoulders. She was changed and back outside in under five minutes. The floodlights were off now, the two children walked in the dark and cold, out of the school grounds and across the road to the clifftop. James filled Jenny in about what had happened on their raid. When we went down through the tunnel, I noticed a load of little chalk piles on the floor. It made me think about those molehills. 
I think the gap in the molehills on Rodine's field is right above their tunnel to the beach. Mr E said he saw new molehills being dug up here on the cliff, Jenny said, looking around. I saw it too, James said. And there's another tunnel I wanted to check out that just happens to be right underneath a lot of the molehills. They went down the steep road to the undercliff path. It was dark away from the main road and stayed dark until they were level with the marina where plenty of light spilled out to the cliffs. They ended up at the concrete bus shelter in the cliff. We still have no idea what number eight is really up to, James said, but she had drawings of these cliffs in her room and a whole load of calculations about them. He took out the Squiducken key, the real one this time, and inserted it into the hole in the graffiti Squiducken's eye. It turned easily and the whole concrete panel swung inwards. Let's be careful, Jenny said. You know how dangerous the caverns are. I don't think we'll need to go that far at all, James said. The marina's ambient light did not do a great job of lighting even the entrance to the secret tunnel. James turned his little torch on, and Jenny could see that the walls were smooth white chalk, and the floor was a series of long, low steps going down. After a few metres, James paused. Look, he said, more piles of chalk. They were like white molehills on the steps. Jenny used her foot to sweep one aside. To her surprise, there was no hole underneath, just the solid chalk step. She heard a quiet scraping noise and was about to tell James, but he put a finger to his lips and crept forward silently. There was a crumbling sound, and chalk started streaming down into the torchlight just ahead of James. For a moment, Jenny thought that the whole tunnel might be collapsing. Then a small, white, whiskered nose poked out. Uh-oh! Wrong turn! it said glancing around. Then it ducked back into the hole it had come through, but it wasn't fast enough. James's hand shot out and grabbed the tail of the creature. There was a short struggle before James pulled it out and held it wriggling in the torchlight in front of him. It's a mole, Jenny said, an albino one, I guess. I didn't know they could burrow through chalk. The mole, which had given up wriggling, sighed and said, I'm not an albino, I'm a chalk mole. I dig in chalk. Hence the name. Now let me go. What are you doing? James asked. Digging round here is dangerous. The chalk is unstable. You're telling me, the mole exclaimed. That's the whole point. I mean, uh, that it is dangerous. But only if you don't know what you're doing. But I do. So it's all fine. You said you went the wrong way, Jenny said. So what if I did? The mole said. Mole digging is perfectly safe. I can go where I want. It won't do any harm. Now this is quite undignified. You really must let me go. The little creature wriggled round and bit James' hand. He yelped and dropped it, and before Jenny could scoop it back up, it burrowed fast into the chalky floor. When it was gone, you almost couldn't tell it had ever been there. Despite Jenny's reservations about their safety, the two children went a little deeper, where there were even more piles of chalk on the floor. What was the chalk mould doing? Jenny asked. When I saw the pattern on Rodine's field, James said, and then found out about the tunnel, I had the idea that the mole was looking for something on either side. James's torchlight cast a thin black shadow on the roof. Hang on, Jenny said, pointing. What's up there? James shone his torch and they saw a thin black wire dangling out of the tunnel roof. Jenny wanted to leave. It really was time to get back to the others and go home. 
They didn't see any other wires or anything else suspicious at all. James closed the squiducken door carefully after they left, and they hurried back up the little road to the school. They did not see number eight again that day. She was not with the other players having tea and cake. From her seat in the minibus, Jenny looked back at the school on the hill as they drove back to Patcham. There was only one window lit on the first floor, the very last one nearest the back, where a lone figure was silhouetted, looking out across the bleak cliffs.